Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, and this is the weekly Spirit Seeker Hour brought to you each and every week by Spirit Seeker Magazine. We have been published for 22 years as a print magazine in the Midwest, and we have been published online since 1998. We were um, ahead of the the trend, shall we say, um, with online publishing. And we continue to grow our online readership and um, are very grateful for all of you sending us notes and, uh, you know, just thanking us for the radio show. And um, so we have the monthly magazine, the weekly radio show. We also have a weekly email newsletter letting you know of wonderful mind, body, spirit events happening throughout um, primarily the United States, but we do cover some things into Canada as well. And then we let you know who the radio show guests are. We also give a lot of free giveaways to our email subscribers and readers because um, we we get so many wonderful gifts. You know, we get books every single day. It's a, it's a delight to go to the mailbox. Um, we get DVDs and we get uh, CDs and um, we work a lot with the the new age music uh, genre, and then in addition, um, we um, we get tickets to things. So we like to share them with our uh, supporters and readers. And um, so, in order to be eligible for that, we do ask that you uh, do one of two things: you can either go to the Spirit Seeker uh, site, which is www.spiritseeker.com, and then sign up for our email newsletter there. Or if you want to just send me an email to info at spiritseeker.com, then we will um, add you uh, to our email list. That way, just say, please add me to your email list. And then uh, we'll let you know. We don't bombard you. You get one or two emails at the most per week. And then um, we let you know when the magazine's online as well. Okay, so that. Uh, is it for the announcements, and um, I want to tell you about my guest. I will bring him on in just a moment. His name is Dr. Terry A. Gordon. He is the author of the Amazon best-selling book, No Storm Lasts Forever. He's a Cleveland Clinic-trained cardiologist who practiced mainstream medicine for over two decades. Um, He was named the American Heart Association's National Physician of the Year in 2002. Um, Dr. Gordon is nationally recognized in Matters of the Heart. Um, He's a motivational speaker, and he has shared the stage with um, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, He's also uh, multi-talented as a musician, and he was uh, the co-host of the annual Docs Who Rock concert, which is a United Way um, event. Dr. Gordon successfully spearheaded an an initiative which placed automatic uh, external defibrillators, known as AEDs, in 4,470 schools in Ohio, protecting students from sudden cardiac arrest. And as we all know, this happens much more frequently than people realize. (coughs) Excuse me. And um, so this is really very, very um, wonderful that he has done this work. Um, He saved over 25 um, lives. So we're going to talk about even more as we go along, but I'm going to go ahead and bring Dr. Gordon on. So welcome, Dr. Gordon. Well, thank you, Cindy. My name's Terry, by the way. Okay. Welcome, Terry. Thank I apologize. You. Now I feel welcome. Okay. Well, you know, I have to um, I have to share that Dr. Uh, Wayne Dyer is one of my favorite people as well. And I um, <clears throat> had the... Um, you know what? I'm going to let you talk for a moment. I'm going to drink some water. I don't know what happened okay. here. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to let you just chat, and then I'll come right back. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I can tell you how I met Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, you know, often people come into our lives at just the right moment, and uh, often we don't know why they've crossed our paths. Um, but back in the year 2000, things started happening to me. Uh, and as I mentioned, people started crossing my path at just the right moment. I, I was a very busy cardiologist, and I would, uh, I'd be in the hospital 16, 17, 18 hours a day. Um, and what I would do while I was in between procedures, I would do maybe six or seven heart casts, put in a pacemaker or two, see 40 people in the hospital, and be over in the office by 1.30 to see another 20 or 30. And it was a grueling pace but one that I really kind of thrived on. And, and what I would do is literally run from room to room in the hospital, quickly peruse the chart, and then I would take this big deep breath, and with this facade of calmness, I would walk into the patient's room. And I walked into this guy's room. His name was Art Blair. Never seen him before. He had uh, atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heart rhythm, not necessarily life-threatening, but, uh, but bothersome. And the first thing out of his mouth when I walked into the room, he said, whoa, Dr. Gordon, you're killing yourself. And I said, I beg your pardon. He said, you've got this marvelous energy around you, this aura, but, but it's all fractured, man. You better do something about it or something very bad's going to happen to you. And I kind of cleared my throat and I said, you know, Mr. Blair, <clears throat> I'm the doctor here. I'm here to take care of you, not the other way around. And he said, well, all I'm telling you is what I see. Well, you know, I treated his atrial fibrillation and uh, turned to leave the room, and my mind already on the next patient. And when I was leaving the room, he beckoned out to me. He says, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And I didn't even respond to the guy. I just kind of thought, what is this old geezer talking about? And I left the room, went on to my next patient. Art went home, came back in a couple weeks later, and um, was having atrial fibrillation once again. And again, the first thing out of his mouth when I walked into his room, he said, you haven't done anything about it, have you? And I said, you know, man, I, I just don't have time. I, I feel like this mouse on a wheel, and I have to run faster and faster to keep from falling. And he said, well, let me just make a couple of suggestions. First of all, have you ever tried to meditate? And I said, well, you know, back in the 60s, I dabbled with it. But, you know, I don't need that sort of thing because I'm, I'm in control here. And he, he made a couple of other suggestions. And one of those suggestions was that I read a couple of books by Dr. Wayne Dyer. And, you know, I had read back in the early 70s, I think, I had read uh, real, uh, I'm sorry, Your Erroneous Zones. Um, but hadn't read any of his other stuff. And he suggested a couple of books by Wayne. He suggested uh, Real Magic and Inspiration. And I read those books, Cindy, and they just resonated with me like nothing I'd ever read before. And um, I found Wayne's phone number, and I called his office, and Maya, who was his uh, secretary and, uh, and brick wall, um, answered the phone, and I said, this is Dr. Gordon. I'd like to speak with Dr. Dyer, please. Well, she was very impressed. I never got to speak with Wayne Dyer. And um, a couple of years later, my wife and I uh, were taking a trip uh, to Hawaii, our first trip to Hawaii. And, and right before we left, Angela, my wife, developed shingles. And we got there, and I, I don't know how she made the trip, but, you know, we made it to Maui, but she was in bed for the first three or four days of our seven days there. And and one morning I got up, and I was just kind of feeling out of sorts and was walking down the beach kicking the sand, feeling sorry for myself. And guess who I bumped into? Uh, Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer. 
and, and you know, somehow I knew that at some point I would do that because it felt very comfortable. But I ran up to him and I, I, I said, you know, man, I know you're on vacation and I don't want to bother you, but I just want to thank you for saving my life. And he said, really? Tell me about it. Now, here's one of the most influential people in the entire world, and his eyes were just locked onto mine. And, and I was the only person in the world at that moment, you know. And I explained to him, you know, my journey and um, and thanked him for helping me. And he said, well, what kind of work do you do? And I told him, well, I was a cardiologist. He said, well, I just had a stent. So we had more to talk about. Well, at the end of our 15, 20-minute conversation, you know, he said, are you going to be around for a while? And I said, sure. And he said, well, there's my condo over there. Why don't you come up and, and visit? Well, I went back to Angela, who's still in bed, and I, I said, honey, you might want to touch this hand. She said, ooh, why? And I said, well, it just shook the hand of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Well, there's this miraculous recovery occurring, and makeup is being put on, and she's dragging me down the beach trying to find Wayney, as she calls him. And I kept saying to her, you know, honey, you don't go looking for Wayne Dyer. If you're supposed to meet him, you will, you know. And right, we ended up bumping right. back into him and uh, and went out to eat dinner and became dear friends. And, in fact, he invited me out to his Maui retreat uh, twice. Um, and, and little did I know that this not-so-chance meeting was really purposeful, that it was preparatory for something that was to happen to me. And then we'll fast forward about uh, eight years later. It was uh, June 29th. Um, 2009, and my daughter, Maddie Rose, who was teaching in Chicago, had just driven in for the weekend, and I was up in my office doing a little work, and she came in, and and you know, it's a parent's sixth sense, when you can just kind of tell something's not quite right. She she had this sadness dripping from her, and I said, what's up, honey? And she came around my desk, plopped herself down at at my feet, put her arms up on my knees, and said, you know, Dad, I always thought that the more, the older I became, the more control I assumed over my life, the easier life would become. And then with this heavy sigh and a single tear trickling down her cheek, she said, but you know, it's it's just not working out that way. And I pulled her up into my arms, and I started rocking her as I had for some 27 and some odd years, and thought for a very long time about what I would say to her, because I knew it was going to be very important. And I shared with her, I said, you know, honey, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. If we are to grow, if we're to mature, if we're to become more enlightened, we must face greater and greater obstacles. And it's only by overcoming those obstacles that we reach a higher plateau of enlightenment. And I shared with her, you know, honey, everything's in perfect order. What you're going through right now is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And I shared with her a quote from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism. And in it, it says, it's the falls of our life that provide us the energy to propel us onto a higher path. It's the falls of our life. And I kissed her on the forehead, and I left her with one thought that night, and I said, you know, honey, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way. Well, at 6.40 the next morning, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. The grave voice on the other end of the line shared with me that our son Tyler, who was... uh, about to turn 21, he was out in Durango, Colorado, going to school at uh, Fort Lewis College, uh, and he had been involved in a single car accident and flipped his car over and over and over. And then came the dreaded words, uh, your son is quadriplegic. Well, you you worry about calls like that, you know. 
when they don't come in when they're supposed to or they, they come in in a condition you're not particularly proud. But you can't imagine the feeling, Cindy, when you hear those words. Well, I had about 20 seconds of denial. And then the doctor and me kicked in, and I knew exactly where we were headed with this. They were getting ready to life flight him from Durango to Denver, Colorado, where he would undergo emergent surgery for his shattered neck. And I hastily put together a a suitcase full of clothes and bolted out of the house, speeding up to the Cleveland airport, trying to get on an overbooked flight. And somehow I got on that flight. When I got up there, there were eight people ahead of me, and, and somehow... I got on that flight, and they they put me next to a window. And I'm now uh, incommunicado. I'm like a caged cat. Uh, you know, I don't know if Tyler's alive, dead, brain damaged, bleeding out from internal organ injury. It was the worst three hours of my life. I, I felt like I was in this tornado, and it was loud, and it was whooshing, and it was dark, and it was dank. And I looked down the funnel of this tornado, and it was just pure blackness. And I remember saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just can't do this. And gradually, the loud whooshing sound debated as I became enveloped in this cocoon of white noise, strand by strand. It it started wrapping around me. And again, this loud whooshing sound started to, to go away until it became this place of unfathomable peace. And yet I was still saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I I can't tell you, Cindy, that I heard the voice of God, but I heard the words from deep within when God said, yes, you can. And I said, but I I don't have the tools to do this. I don't know how to do this. And God said, Terry, just last night you shared your wisdom with your daughter, Maddie Rose. You could talk the talk, but now you're going to have to live it. And I said, "But, but how do I do this? How do I help my family? How do I help my daughter? How do I help my, how do I help me? And then God reminded me that everything's in perfect order. Even this accident is not an accident. It's in perfect order. And then God said the most profound thing that I have ever contemplated in my life. When God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, why would I do that? Why would I choose a tragedy such as this? What what possible good could come from such a life-altering calamity? What lessons could there be hidden in such turmoil? You know, there's some who believe that we actually choose what it is we are to experience in a particular lifetime. And that choice is based on what our spiritual development requires in order to continue on its progressive course. So as I began navigating this storm in our lives... The challenge for me became adjusting my perception of these events enough to recognize the presence of God within the experience. And in order to do that, Cindy, I had to look way, way, way beyond what my mind wanted to judge as good or bad. I came to accept that adversity is a gift from God. It's not a punishment. Now, this gift may not come enveloped in the most beautifully wrapped package, In fact, it can be so disgustingly hideous that it's nearly impossible to comprehend how how it could ever be of benefit. But but I've learned several things from this. Um, I've come to appreciate that this human realm in which we live, it's the perfect circumstance in which we can approach what I believe it is we all seek, and that's insight. Now, 
crap happens. And none of us is immune to the pain and turmoil of this existence. But life is balanced. It's balanced not only with those things that cause us to suffer, but it's beautifully coupled with those things that bring us pleasure as well. And because of that, we're not overly burdened with the negative aspect of these experiences. The question, quite frankly, becomes, are there really negative experiences? And I don't think so. These so-called negative experiences can actually be a blessing in disguise. They can come become a catalyst for change, fodder for growth. And the challenge is we have to free ourselves from the attachment to the good experiences as much as we have to free ourselves from the aversion to the negative ones. And in truth, there's no duality. They're really one and the same. And that's how we maintain equilibrium in our lives. And so we began our journey, uh, which continues today. And, you know, there are highs and there are lows, and there are good days and there are not-so-good days. But, um, you know, and, and whenever I tell people this, they always raise an eyebrow when I say it. In many respects, this has been a beautiful experience because I've watched my son grow in ways he never thought he could, in ways I never envisioned that he could. Right. So, Wayne Dyer, thank God you came into my life, man, because... You helped me progress to the place where I could help my family and and hopefully help others as well. You know, he's a he was and in my mind still, you know, uh is um mm-hmm. an amazing man. I um I met him the first time in 1996 when he talked to 600 people, a lot of them were physicians. <clears throat> and he was talking about even then on um you know how how to work with the mind and et cetera and he he always gave St. Louis um the big thank you uh to Jack Buck because Jack Buck heard about Wayne Dyer in his book Your Erroneous Zones that he sold out of the trunk of his car. I mean literally that's mm-hmm. what he did. <laughs> and I mean that's really and so somehow or another he came across the radar and Jack Buck needed someone to fill in on Camo X for a week while someone was out and he offered this to Wayne Dyer and all of a sudden Wayne Dyer was heard all across the airwaves all through the United States and the next thing you know he St. Louis PBS public broadcasting picked him up and he um and it opened the door to all kinds mm-hmm. of other opportunities. And so I used to wonder why he was always on our public broadcast radio, Channel 9. He was always on there. But he gave back because he always felt like St. Louis launched him. <clears throat> and then in 2006, I had the opportunity to interview him along with a lot of other publications. And that was right, right not too long after he had gone through his heart attack. Um, mm-hmm. And I, um, you know... Uh, had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and a lot of the holistic community um, didn't understand why I was doing traditional treatment. You know, I was doing the mastectomy, doing the chemo, and I don't know, just, you know, um, know, I I remember saying to someone, you know, my children's father's a surgeon, you know, they are frightened by everything that he's told them. I said, this diagnosis, they've told me if I'm here in three years, I'll be lucky. And I said, but, you know, Wayne Dyer helped me. This is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, look, when I had my heart attack, I didn't know how to fix my heart. I'm not, I'm not a heart doctor. He said, I, I, at first I was in total denial, like, there's nothing wrong with me. And then I realized, you know, that's not going to work. 
And he says, so I let the doctors do everything that they knew how to do to repair my heart. He said, but I knew I had to do the other work. Mm-hmm. I had to do the other work. And he said, Cindy, he said, do whatever your doctors are telling you, but you know you have to do deeper work. And I said, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. I mean, what are the chances that that interview would have lined up right at that moment, you know? And then mm-hmm. and then in 2008 was the first time he ever did a seminar in Maui. He did not think that people would come. He had mm-hmm. over 500 people. I won the Hay House. Hay House did this drawing, and of all things, Cindy Meyer won two tickets to Maui and all, you know, Wayne Dyer's seminar. And, you know, so there there we are. And then he brings Ram Das onto the stage, you know. I mean, because he, right, right. he, he took care of Ram Das, you know. And, and then people, you know, wanted to swim with him, and he said, you can swim with me because he does that mile, he did that mile swim every single day. But he's right. like, you cannot right. try and talk to me. You have to let, this is my thing. If you want to come along, fine, but don't get in my, you know, really don't get in my way. This is my thing. Plus, he did yoga every morning, you know? I mean, uh-huh. he, was, he was, uh, yes, I mean, yeah. he because he had back problems most of his life and then, you know, heard that this technique might help him. And then, you know, at some point, the, the yoga teacher became ill. He totally took care of all of her bills. I mean, he was... He was probably the most generous person. Every morning he would read, like, all these letters from people asking him for assistance and help, and he would just bless several people every day. Just, yeah. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. He There, there was some uh, journal or magazine or something that came out that listed the 100 most spiritual people alive in the world today. And Eckhart Tolle was number one. Uh, the Dalai Lama was number two. And Wayne Dyer was number three. And we were talking on the phone one day, and he said, you know, I didn't even know about this list. He said, I could have cared less about this list, and I came in third. Maybe if I start caring even less, I can be number one next time. <laughs> but that's how the man was. And, you know, and you know, it's funny how you were saying that things happen, and it's all kind of mm-hmm. lined up, and, you know, it's really... You know, every adversity becomes a blessing in some way once you get it. And, you know, one time I heard him speak, and he was talking about he had been on the road for 320 out of 360 days or, you know, whatever. Mm, and I remember brutal. sitting there, I thought, I thought this man has eight children. He is not helping that, you know, raise these kids and blah, 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 blah. You know, you can hear the little judgment. And then later, mm-hmm. of course, I realized those eight kids chose him as their dad. And look at, you know, like like it was part of the, the agreement. And look at how many lives he changed, including he had a great relationship with almost all of his kids. You know, well, I should Absolutely. say all. But it's us, you know, like we get into that linear mind and just think, how can he be a good father? And uh, But, but it, it was part of the deal. I mean, the guy grew up in an orphanage, and here he was, like, against all odds, helping so many people. Mm-hmm. So he was our the real, life, real McGill. He was just He was. He was. What are the friend. chances? Just I mean, I just love that you were walking down the beach and ran into him. It's just... <laughs> and bumped, bumped into the guy. Well, you know, about a year into our um, ordeal, we were back in Ohio about this time um, with Tyler and my wife and I, you know, the primary caregivers. Um, and things were really toxic. It just was, you know, Tyler was going through an anger stage that, you know, understandably, at, you know, 20, 21 years old to be quadriplegic, you know. And uh, my father... Um, had uh, he passed away of prostate cancer at 52 so i'd always been very vigilant and my psa started climbing although it was still within normal limits and the the urologist said well you know come back in a year and we'll 
we'll take another look. And I said, you know, I think I want a biopsy. And he said, are you kidding? Nobody ever wants to have a biopsy. I said, you know, even though my levels are still normal, I think I want a biopsy. So lo and behold, I get a call about a week later. He said, you know, Terry, I, I can't believe it, but it came back positive. And I remember, um, you know, the moment uh, of him telling me that. And I felt like a little boy who'd gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And the reason being is I knew that this toxicity that I was allowing into my being is what lowered my immune system and allowed these cancer cells to start growing. And I, I called Wayne. He was the first person I told. And told him what my plan was. And my plan was to have you know the surgery and have it done. He said, well, you, just like what... He said to you, you know, yes, you know, you do what the, the medical doctors tell you you should do, but the rest of it's up to you. And, and yeah. you know, much like Lance Armstrong, who knew at some point he was going to get caught, that toxicity just builds up. And, and the problem is we all harbor that sort of, of negative energy. Um, and, and, you know, we have to learn how to, you know, how to, how to handle it better. And, you know, Amachi, the hugging saint, I don't know if you've heard of her, but <clears throat> people mm-hmm. wait in line for hours to receive darshan from her. And, you know, she helped me a lot, too, because um, she said anger of any kind weakens all the cells in the body. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like, you know, and sometimes, you know, that Shakti energy where you just have to clear it out and it has to come up and, and then it's gone. I mean, there are cases like that, but when we hold on to it, <clears throat> it has to go somewhere. You know, and it's never a good thing to hold on to anger. But I always loved how she put that it weakens all every cell in the body. It does. It does. So for you, all of the, I mean, you know, this being there for, for your daughter Maddie the one night and then the next day to, you know, have this, this thing happened. I mean, you you're tuned in on you know with your guides and angels to have known that with that elevated PSA you needed to you needed to get that checked. I mean, so then here you are. You're you're really comprehending and suffering. Suffering, you know, leads to um, to other things. And is that? I mean, that's how I'm assuming you um, came to no storm last forever and writing that and transforming suffering into insight. Mm-hmm. Well, it was actually Wayne Dyer's fault. Um, we were supposed to have, it was, we were supposed to have um, gone on a Hay House cruise together. He had asked me to speak. It was the Alaskan cruise and never been to Alaska. We were bringing the entire family, his entire family. And we were all going to have this great, great time. And then, of course, two weeks before we were to embark was Tyler's uh, accident. And God love him. Wayne called every day, every day, talked to, to Tyler and said, you know, Tyler, you are so much more than your body. And and he talked with him a number of times, you know, after we came home. But but right after Tyler's accident, um, Wayne suggested that I journal. And I'll tell you this, Cindy, I've never done that before. I, you know, I, I I never have written down. I always thought people that kept diaries, you know, secretly wanted them to be discovered and whatnot. But but journaling for me became the vehicle of my delivery from this abyss. Um, and, and shortly after the, almost immediately after the accident occurred, I, I just couldn't talk. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. My wife for three months couldn't talk to anybody about it because it was such a dramatic injury. And Wayne suggested that I just write down my thoughts. And I started doing that. And, uh, at first they were just about what was happening that day. 
And then at one point I had kind of described what Tyler was struggling with that day about moving, you know, anything in his hand. And he asked me not to do that because he really didn't want to share that. And that's when it kind of morphed into my experience of what I was experiencing. And and what I found is it became so therapeutic to, to be able to, in this silent space of journaling, to be able to to put down in words what I was feeling. And, and then I would leave it alone and come back to it a week or two later, and it meant something totally different because I had grown and learned something. And, and it, just, it, just, it just became so so therapeutic. It, it, it is now when I reread my book. Um, it just has helped me so much learning what it was I was going through at the, at the time. So it was, oh, it was his fault, know, and just... he wrote a beautiful forward to, to the book that just... In fact, in fact, when he wrote the forward, he called me and said, you know, Terry, I hope you know I just paved my way to hell writing all these lies about you. So. <laughs> Wasn't he just but funny? He's just, I mean, you know, you would be at, um, you know, I, I, I've attended a lot of, you know, seminars over the years, through, you know, Hay House seminars, Celebrate Your Life seminars, on and on. And he would be there, and he would be in his shorts and T-shirt, you know, I mean, and mm-hmm. flip-flops, you know. I mean, that was that was Wayne Dyer. And so when I saw him in 2010 in Phoenix, and he had long sleeve, a long sleeve shirt on and long pants on, I'm like, whoa. And he was puffy. And I thought, okay, what is going on? This is not mm-hmm. Wayne Dyer here. And then he shared, and he waited until toward the end of his talk, and he said, <clears throat> Unlike normal uh, times when you've experienced me, I won't be doing any book signings afterward. Uh, He says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be leaving the stage early, and I ask that no one follow me, and this is doctor's orders. And then he shared that he had the leukemia. And um, he said, my doctors have told me to get my affairs in order, and he said, I'm heading straight from here. Um, He was to see his mom. But he also was going on this journey to try one more time to find out more about his dad. And um, mm-hmm. and so I just thought, oh, my gosh. And then I got it, you know, because of the lesions from the leukemia, you know, the varicels, et cetera. He, um, he, that's why he was wearing a long sleeve shirt. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But then that led him, you know, to John of God. It led him uh-huh. to tapping. It led him to so many other things. And, you know, he was he, – he, he just really went on another whole journey and was here for he a long time. I mean, yeah, I mean, and it's like, I mean, that was his approach to life. Like, okay, what can I do to learn from this, and how can I still, you know, be here and help others? Well, this I was mean, right before we were supposed to embark on the, the cruise, and this was right before Tyler's accident, and he called me. And he said, you know, I'm having these symptoms. Now, we can talk about it. HIPAA sucks, but we can talk about it now. But um, but right. he said, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, there's, and he described these feelings he was having. I said, you know, go to your doctor and tell him you need a couple of tests. And I told him which tests I thought the doctor would order. And this was on a Thursday. So Friday he calls me and says, okay, now what I do? And he told me, you know, what his blood test showed. And I said, well, Wayne, you, you've got to see a hematologist oncologist and you're going to need to have that blood tested again and I wouldn't go on the cruise if uh, if the levels are rising so he said well I'll get back with you so Monday he calls me and he says you know Terry I hated you this weekend and I said I'm a big boy why did you hate me so much right 
you know, because I was the one that told him to go get the the blood test. But you're you're right. He 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 started this journey of of recovery, uh, right? And, and led him to he turned it around for a long yeah. time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He's what a an great inspiration, guy. and and mm-hmm. look how him. You know, Wayne Dyer inspiring you and just suggesting journaling. I mean, I there have been other books written this way that, you know, you just sit down and you're with yourself and the thoughts pour out on the page. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the next thing you know, it's like you're helping other people through your journey. But that's what we're supposed to do, you know. If 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 all we do is for ourselves, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. But when we do for others and then it's forgotten, that's when it lives on forever. So that's exactly wow. what we should all be doing. And if we do that, it'd be a heck of a lot nicer place to live, you know. Right, right. We're all in this together. Let's um, let's 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 uh, ride the storm together and help one another. And you know, that's really that's really what this is all about. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I I uh, could never have made it through. Yeah, well, it's funny. I would never have found that press lump. Uh, you know how you described, I mean, I wasn't at your level with 13 to 18 hours a day and everything you were doing, but I was at this ridiculous pace in 2006. It was just, you know, like opportunities showing up here, showing there, and, you know, I really wasn't very good at saying no at that point. Everything sounded great. So I was like full speed ahead. So, I mean, this one weekend I was, I taught, I had 35 people in a breathwork class on Friday night, and then I was teaching a breathwork workshop on Saturday and Sunday, and then I read as a psychic at a party Saturday night because I was leaving on um, Wednesday on the Hay House cruise that, you know, I had won that trip too. All right, so you get the picture. So Sunday. Yeah, I know. I'm very fortunate. I just have been blessed like every which way. But what happened is on that Sunday night, I realized I hadn't signed up for the classes for the cruise, and I was already in bed, which was uh, on an upper level in my house. And I thought, oh, my gosh, those cruise papers are, and the seminar papers are downstairs. I have to do this, so I think I'll go get them, and then I'll, you know, I'll figure out what classes I'm going to take. And so then I thought, oh, I have been cooped up all weekend long. And it was it was in March, but it was 80 degrees. And so I went, I started to walk out the front door, and my daughter said, where are you going? Because it was like midnight. And I said, I'm just going out to get some fresh air. But I had turned back, and I kept walking, and I, I rolled my ankle, and then the next thing you know, I fell, and my left leg went behind this couch that I had on my front porch, and it snapped. And the door was closed because I was, like, talking to her as I was walking out, not looking. And the next thing you know, the front door is closed, and I'm on this front porch in shock, like, what just happened? And my ankle was hanging. I had totally sheared, broken. It was just like there was every bone was broken. However, I was in that wheelchair when I had just come out of the wheelchair, and, I, and, you know, when you get stopped at that level, I loved how you talked about that and in your article, Embrace the Pause, when you said, you know, when you have an illness or you have, you know, something that slows you down at that level, like you said, God sends us time of forced leisure by allowing sickness, injury, disappointed plans, and frustrated efforts. He brings a sudden pause in the choral hymn of our lives, and we lament that our voices must be silent. Yet how does a musician read the rest? He counts the break with unwavering precision and plays his next note with confidence as if no pause were ever there. Well, had I not 
broken that ankle and been in a wheelchair for 10 or 12 weeks and then learning how to walk all over again, I would never have realized that I missed a year going for my uh, mammogram and exam. And I did, you know, I'm really good about doing monthly exams. I found this lump that was not there a month ago. wasn't there. Mm. And that's how, you know, I look back and I'm like, okay, if I had had the broken ankle, I would never have found the lump. If I hadn't found the lump, it would have probably been too late because it was one of the triple negative rare kinds. And so, but see, it's all lined up, though. It's like, it's all lined up. Yep. And the love and support. Right. But then I remember the minister at the church saying, do you want to go back on the, the prayer thing? And I'm like, you guys just prayed for me. She goes, oh, you only get to only have one terrible thing happen in your life? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if if you're lucky, you will have more of that stuff. That's really my belief. I really believe that. I never did before. Well, you know, that that we must overcome all these obstacles. Well, the only way you're going to overcome obstacles is if you're facing them. So, you know, I, I remember when I, again, when I got that um, that uh, message from my urologist, I remember looking up in the sky thinking, okay, God, if you think I can handle this, bring it on. And, right. you know, and, and those obstacles, those things, they still keep coming. And, and rather than than running away from them as fast as you can, you need to stop, turn around, and just open your arms and embrace that adversity. Because it's it's not a punishment. We're not bad people. We haven't done anything wrong. We're being given a gift, and we should be grateful for that gift. Grateful, like I told my daughter, grateful for the crap that comes our way. Totally different way which of looking is, at life. Yeah, I was going to say, which is so, like, you know, and, and, and so many new thought people, you know, get carried away with this, well, what were your thoughts that you were out of whack? And, the, and it makes it, like, well, how, what did you do to create this? And call, And I'm like, oh, stop. That is, like, one more like, futile way of dealing with what's happening. You know, yes, sometimes we are out of whack, you know. We get that, but you don't use it as a punishment to even, you know. It's it's how, what do I do now, you know, and where do I go from here? And, I mean, there, there have been whole books written on how is it that some people get well and some people don't. Like, what's mm-hmm. what's the trick? What is the What is the difference? And... You know, and, you know, here you were, like, this chance meeting with Wayne Dyer, and look at how much you two were in each other's lives at pivotal times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It, it is. And it continues to be. You know, he still touches my life. Yeah. Oh, well, it's like he's still here. So, mm-hmm. okay, so I, you know, you, you, you wrote this book, this wonderful book that has helped many people, nor, No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, but you've also, um, you know, I, I mentioned it in the intro, but, you know, and then I had my whatever that was. Um, so you have uh, worked very diligently to uh, to get the external uh, defibrillators, the automated external defibrillators placed in Ohio schools and police cars, uh, mm-hmm. and that would lead to you being honored, uh, as I said, as the National Physician of the Year by the American Heart Association. But you have also worked. It was, with, it, was a, with, it was a it was a, it was a slow year that year. They were really scraping the bottom of the barrel when they picked me. I'll tell you that. Oh, stop it. 
<laughs> no. No, I mean, people did not even know. You know, I mean, you educated so many people. And, yeah, so, no, I'm not going to let you minimize that, even jokingly. Um, yeah. And then you, you worked with U.S. Congress and, uh, Congresswoman Betty Sutton and U.S. Senators Sherrod Brown and Hillary Clinton on national legislation uh, to get AEDs placed in schools nationwide. So... Can you tell me, I, there's also, you're known for the Josh Miller Hearts Act. Um, yeah. Is that is that the same program where you got the, the different place in the school? Or, okay. This was the, the national bill. But, but Josh Miller was a 15-year-old in our community, and he was playing football one Friday night, and he ran off the football field, and he collapsed. And in front of his teammates and in front of his friends and sadly in front of his parents, Josh Miller died. Um, he died of a cardiac arrest. But, but, you know, kids aren't supposed to do that. Um, I had the unfortunate experience to watch the video of that football game. And it was the most sickening thing, Cindy, I've ever seen in my entire life. In that normally boisterous stadium, you could hear a pen drop, except for the wail of his mother. And his father was pacing back and forth in the background like a caged cat and watching as his, his young son's life was, was leaving him. Um, I served on a panel with his dad several months later, and um, at the end of the panel, our, our goal was just to raise the awareness in the community. And at the end of the, the this little conference that we had, there was a TV camera and a reporter, and she shoved a camera in front of Mr. Um, Miller's face, and she said, you know, Mr. Miller, these defibrillators you want to put in the schools, they cost almost $3,000. Doesn't that seem like a lot of money to you? And he was a man of very few words, and he looked down, gathered his thoughts, and as he looked back up, he had a single tear trickling down his cheek, and he looked at me when he said, it doesn't seem like a lot of money to me. And that's when I was then president of the local chapter of the American Heart Association, and I took it upon myself to raise $200,000 to put defibrillators in every junior and high school in our community. We became the first community of its size in the nation to do that. And then I thought, well... Um, why not do this on a national level? And I went to Washington, met with uh, anybody that would listen to me. And, you know, you can walk into anybody's office. You may not get to talk to anybody, but they'll at least let you walk in the office. Well, it became very clear that unless I was one of their constituents, they didn't want to talk to me. So on the way back home, I was meditating, and I was was talking with God, and I, I was saying, you know, I've got all this energy. Show me the way. What am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to manifest this? And it popped in my mind who I was supposed to see and how it was going to unfold. That next morning, I approached the gentleman who popped up in my meditative state and uh, asked him if I might talk with him. And he said, well, come on over. So I went over that morning and had this little booklet of pictures of children that had crossed over to the other side of life. And about halfway through me describing each of these kids' cardiac arrests, he closed the book and very respectfully said, you know, Terry, I followed you in the news cut to the chase. What do you need? And I said, I need $5 million to put AEDs in every single school in the state of Ohio. That's K-12 through public, private, parochial charter. We're going to train five people in each school. We'll align the local paramedics with the, ni with the uh, 911 service so that when somebody does have a cardiac arrest and they frantically call 911, the 911 operator will say, turn around, right through that door, you'll find the AED. And he said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And it unfolded exactly, exactly how I thought it would. 
the day that we completed the program and announced it uh, down in Columbus, the, the state state house, um, I got a, a phone call from Betty Sutton, who's our U.S. congresswoman. And she congratulated us and said, um, you know, Terry, do you think we could do this on a national level? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't think we can. And I remember I remember the, the dismay in her voice. She said, oh, really? Why? And I said, because I know we can. And it wasn't being cocky. It was something Wayne Dyer taught me. And it's the title of one of his books. It's called The Power of Intention. Oh, and my favorite. I had already intended it. I already saw the defibrillators in all these schools. Now, getting to the to that point has been a little more arduous, but they're already in the schools. We just have to figure out a way around the boulders, around the the obstacles, and it'll happen. It'll happen. Um, it did pass the the bill passed. It's called the Josh Miller Hearts Act. That's helping everyone access access uh, responsive treatment in schools. It passed the U.S. House of Representatives unanimously twice, but has never been able to make it through the um, the Senate. And uh, the last time that uh, Hillary Clinton was our uh, proposer, as was uh, Sherrod Brown, it was blocked by a doctor, believe it or not. Now, his his line in the sand was fiscal responsibility. Now, if you – and I'm all for fiscal responsibility, but we've lost easily 350 children from sudden cardiac arrest since the bill was first proposed in the House – and if you walk through the halls of Congress, guess what's everywhere? Guess what's on every wall? AEDs, defibrillators. So the mission continues, and we will get the bill passed at some point because Wayne's right. already shown it to me. Oh, you know, I mean, think back before CPR, before CPR training. I mean, you know, people, it, it just takes a movement and awareness. And, mm-hmm. you know... Look at what these kids are doing from Florida. I mean, they changed oh, yeah. more things in nine days with, you know, gun legislation than years. And it's like, you know, the people are connected now. And I don't I see this happening. I, I see I see this happening. And, you know, what a what a legacy from Josh Miller to never have that happen again. I mean, you just, I mean, and, you know, all three of my kids were athletes. And, you know, you just hear stories. There are terrible things that happen. And this is great that you are still advocating for this. Definitely. Well, you know, I mean, there are kids like Josh who had a congenital heart defect, and his first incident was his death. And then <sighs> there are others like Louis Acampora, who um, was playing lacrosse in his first uh I think it was JV lacrosse, uh, playing goalie, had a chest protector on, took a hit to the chest, and had a cardiac arrest. And his parents were there, and he turned blue, and the the, the coach wouldn't let anybody touch him because he thought he'd just gotten the wind knocked out of him. And 14 minutes later, the um, the paramedics arrived, and by that time it was it was too late. Every minute that someone's in a cardiac arrest, his or her chance of survival drops by 10% every minute. Now. Nationwide, the average response time of paramedics is about 8 to 12 minutes. So if you do the math, you know, that's why only 3 right. to 5% of people who have a cardiac arrest out of hospital survive. Now, if you do CPR, it, it goes from 3 to 5 to 6 to 10%. But if you do CPR and deliver a shock from a defibrillator within two minutes, 50 to 75% of those people right. will survive. So it's a no-brainer. A right. no-brainer, and they're like a thousand bucks a piece now. So there is absolutely no reason why every school in our country 
can't have an AED to protect our most precious resource, our children. Right. Our future. They are yeah. our future, and, you know, mm-hmm. it is our job to protect them. And, yeah, so while well, I support this, and if there's anything Spirit Seeker can do, you know, if you want to put an article or anything that, you know, I can help with, I'd just don't hesitate. I would love to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to yeah. do that. So um, so you also offer a wonderful free daily affirmation. Can you tell us about mm-hmm. that and how um, the listeners and readers would subscribe to that? Sure, sure. Uh, if you go to my website, which is uh, drterrygordon.com, and doctor is just D-R, there's no period behind it. So it's uh, D-R, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And on all of the pages of my website, you can click on to receive my daily affirmations. And they help me. You know, I, I, whenever I write them down and read them, I think, gosh, that really helped me today. And, you know, I often don't realize ahead of time what, which day my uh, affirmation is going to be. But uh, a lot of little, you know, helpful, helpful hints, especially in today's world of so much anger and angst and, and sadness. Yeah, yeah, and sadness. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if people are stirred up right now and – you know, that's, it's just hard. You know, I, I, I don't, well, it just is. It's hard. And yet people are coming together in new ways. And, um, you know, the, the children in Florida, you know, I keep going back to that because I just am so amazed. And then, you know, in St. Louis we have this really, it's it's terrible. We have, a, um, we have five sites in Missouri that, you know, they were radiation was dropped, plutonium was dropped, terrible things. And they knew when they did it that they were residential mm-hmm. areas and water supplies. And without going into all of it, we just were approved for a $265 million cleanup. But so many people and children and, and you know, not just children, but children who played in that creek who are now in their 40s and 50s, many of them didn't make it because they've died from the cancer, from, you know, uh, the runoff. And so mm-hmm. one of these, it was a 17-year-old kid who went to one of the town hall meetings last night, and it was all over social media today, and I just thought, you know, these kids of today, partly partly they've grown up with iPhones in their hand. They've grown up with Twitter. They've grown up with, you know, all the social media, and they're so connected in a different way than, you know, technology is really changed them but they're so smart with the platform and public speaking and you know the, the, I just I just I just listened to this young person and I just cried I was like I was just look at you know feeling her heart space with saying it's not enough that you're doing this there's more that needs to be done and you can't just continue sweeping this under the rug like you've done for like over almost 30 something years and um, I don't know but I think I think that you know you you talk so much about this about what can we do when these adverse situations happen and and you know it's my understanding that you have another book coming out soon um and you talk a little bit in that book about you know how do you deal with with um with some of these issues so would you like to talk just a little bit about your new book and Uh, i would um, love to the the title of the book is no beginning no end a cardiologist's discovery of the timeless truth there's no such thing as death and and how this evolved, you know, I, I, I have been around over a thousand people as they die. Usually I was one that was called and frantically trying to keep that person alive, but it wasn't until close to the mid to latter part of my career that I had this epiphany. 
and I had this this patient. Her name was Adrian, and Adrian was from the south, and I'm from the south, and and we just had this bond. And she had a very very sick heart, and I had implanted about ten years before. Uh, this incident, I had implanted one of the original implantable defibrillators. It's like a pacemaker that shocks the heart if the heart goes into a chaotic heart rhythm disturbance. And one morning she came into the hospital and this thing was just banging away at her. It shocked her probably 80 times during the day and unfortunately she was awake for each incident. And despite my efforts, I just couldn't, um, couldn't get her very sick heart to calm down and at the end of the day she asked the nurses to page me and I went into her room and she said you know Terry I'm not afraid to die in fact I've been dying for a decade I said oh no Adrian you've been living for a decade she said no 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 you don't understand I've been preparing for my death for a decade by getting rid of the stuff that is so unimportant stuff that I thought was important but really isn't so she said you know I'm not afraid to die and I know where I'm going to go but I don't want to continue living like this. Will you turn the device off? Now, none of her family was in town. They all were down in South Carolina. And I said, well, you know, Adrian, I, I will, but you understand that the very next time that you have this heart rhythm disturbance, once I turn this device off, you're going to cross. And she said, I understand, I understand. So I turned the device off, and I told her how honored I'd been to be her friend and to be her her physician. And thanked her for the opportunity. And I turned to leave. She said, you know, Terry, there's just one more thing I'd like to request. And I said, well, what's that? She said, will you hold my hand? And I said, of course I will. And so I invited the nurse out of the room. I sat on her bed, and I held her hand. And we're just talking about the South, and I'm squeezing her hand, and her hand is responsive to mine. And, And I could see the heart rhythm monitor above her right shoulder, as she went into a cardiac arrest. And when she did so, her eyes just gently floated into the back of her head, and she very peacefully crossed. And I'm looking at this hand that I'm holding, and it's the same hand that I was just caressing. It had the same blood cells in it, the same electrolytes, the same... Everything in that hand was the same except for one thing. The spirit had left the vessel. And in that split second, Cindy... Because I allowed myself to do so, I could feel her energy swirling around me, and then it was gone. And I looked back at the hand, and the weirdest thought crossed my mind. Do you remember the the movie E.T.? Yes. Okay. There was a scene in the middle of that movie where E.T., I think, was in the little boy's room showing off, and his bony finger leaned over, and ding, it touched this flower, and the flower withered. And then he touched it again, and ding, it came back to life. It hit me, it hit me that God had just dinged Adrian. Now, we know a lot in science, in medicine, we don't know a lot. The one thing we do know is that energy doesn't die. It transforms, it changes, it goes someplace, but it doesn't die. And that energy is out there forever, for infinity much like I believe that energy existed for eternity before we got dinged into this vessel. So if you buy that, from the time we get dinged into this body to the time that we get dinged out of this body and it's infinity on either side, the time that we're here is infinitesimal. Not insignificant and not inconsequential, but infinitesimal. And it taught me to look at life and what we call death in a totally different way. Way, 
And that was really the beginning of my journey to the epiphany that there is no such thing as death. Right. It's just a change With- within you. Right. The minute you get that we're immortal beings and that every moment counts, it's a mm-hmm. whole different way of living. I mean, it is. It's just totally different. And you know, and, and you know, I shared with you before we went on the air. You know, I was a nurse for many years and have worked. I was always always intrigued with hospice. I wrote one of my first papers on hospice in the early '70s because I just thought it was such a more humane way of dealing with someone who's dying. And you know, in the mm-hmm. Western world at that time. As you know, we did everything, everything, all the way, you know, to the very last minute of trying to keep them alive. And, you know, it just made more sense the way the French did it. You know, hospice came from, you know, a hospital and, you know, the whole thing came from the French uh, word. And, you know, I just remember, and I remember one time on my summer vacation reading On Death and Dying by Kubler-Ross. And, you know, mm-hmm. these were kind of my, my entry into this. And then, you know, I've always been fascinated with, you know, the soul living on forever. And, you know, we're spiritual beings having this earth experience, you know, until 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 we return to different form. And, you know, and, and but I remember the whole concept of physical immortality the first time I heard it. I was like, What? And then I had to fill in for a seminar. My my friend couldn't teach it, and I was asked if I was in Philadelphia, would you teach a weekend on physical immortality? And it's the one thing that I had resisted kind of the most. And so then I just dove into it fully. And, you know, it's it's just your whole life changes when you look at it in a different vantage point. And, and who was it that said, who was it, that great man that said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change? <laughs> change. Wayne does. I know. I mean, that mm-hmm. was it. Change your thinking, change your life. You know, I mean, that was mm-hmm. like another one of his books. And mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, my goodness. So this book is mm-hmm. not out yet, listeners, but it will be. But I want to mention uh, Dr. Uh, Terry Gordon. That's how you're going to find him. Uh, his other book um, is still available. And as I mentioned earlier, No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight. And um, and then seriously, I you know, this book is a book you can pick up, you can read it, and then later pick up and just read a chapter and see where you're drawn. And it will always speak to you wherever you are. So, Dr. Gordon, anything else you want to mention? Ter- I should say Terry. Terry, anything else you want to share yeah. with us? And just no, this has been wisdom? a delight. It's been a delight. I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope you'll have me yeah. back sometime. I will. I will. And um, absolutely. And let me know if there's anything I can do, you know, to help uh, with with your your causes and reaching out and getting these uh, defibrillators everywhere. It's education. It's like, you know, it's just really education. And that's, you know, people are open and receptive. And um, it's a good cause. Okay, so you can go to drterrygordon.com. And um, and once again, I'm just going to remind you, please send an email or uh, asking to be added to our email list, info at spiritseeker.com, or go to the Spirit Seeker website, spiritseeker.com, and fill out the contact form there, and then we will add you to our list, and then you'll know um, about everything that's happening with Spirit Seeker and all the different people we work with across the nation. And then the other thing is, as um, I do want to mention, what did I want to mention? I don't think I want to mention anything other than just 
Um, oh, I know what I wanted to mention. This this interview, the minute it's over, becomes a podcast. And so you can easily go to the um, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Cindy Meyer or go from the Spirit Seeker site and link to there. And then you can forward this. You can listen to this. We know you listen because we get the stats after hours. But tell others about the show because then they too can hear these wonderful interviews. Okay, so Terry, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and thank you for sharing from your heart. You know, you just are helping a lot of people with with your authenticity and, and remembering and reminding all, all of us to embrace the pause. So thank well, you so thank much. Thank you for, for having me, Cindy. Uh, namaste. Okay, namaste. Good night. Good night.